All right, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Dear Apparition podcast. If you are hearing this, that is because we did decide on doing two different episodes, unlike that really divisive vote we had for our last episode. So uh, we're back here. Uh, I'm Steve, and I'm joined by uh, Rue and Hunter. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hey, how you doing? And we are also joined back by the wonderful and luscious Gavin Castleton. Gavin, how are you doing? <laughs> we got the woo twice. The square woo. waves are back. Yeah, the clipping there good. is going to be a nightmare for Steve. I'm all about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, the automation. I can just smell it. Oh, yeah. And it smells mighty tasty. Anyway, so we're back. Add some reverb. Oh, my God. We're, we're back to this episode. Um, yeah, I'm going to reverb the hell out of it. We have uh, <laughs> the last episode. We got a bit. We were a bit more broad about this. We decided hey, let's talk to Gavin about his personal music, kind of what he got into, how he got introduced to the band. Uh, now we want to take it a little bit more niche. We want to talk a bit about production and everything. So I want to pass that one off to Rue because uh, Gavin said that you got a CP70, correct? Yeah, I just got a CP70, a Yamaha CP70. Awesome. So Rue, you want to take this one away? Yeah, so as a Q's player myself... Um, I am very keen to geek out a bit with you, uh, just about all things keyboards, all things keys, really. So, yeah. So, I was wondering maybe we could just start. Like, what's what are you running, especially on this upcoming tour? What's your what's your rig going to be looking like? So this tour is sort of an anomaly in that I, a lot of almost everything I'm going to bring out will be will have never been used live by me i think before so i think but and, it, and it's still evolving so i'm not 100 percent sure but i think we're going to bring out the cp70 that's it's for people out there who don't know which should be nearly everybody it's kind of like a baby grand but it's portable and it breaks into two pieces when you try to transport it and it was played by everyone from steely dan to um D'Angelo and I think Prince and you know, a bunch of artists have used it. Casey used a CP80, I believe, which is the upright piano version from Yamaha on the Color Spectrum show, I think. Um, I think yeah, 60, I think. Oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. I, yeah. I, I wasn't there for that, but I remember that. And, uh, and this is sort of the grand piano version. So I'm bringing that. I'm probably bringing a Moog Subsequent 37, which is a newer Moog um, for bass sounds. And I'm probably mm -hmm. bringing a Mini Logue, a Korg, Korg Mini Logue for um, weird sounds and pads. And then I've got this amazing looping pedal from Head Rush. Um, that's called the head rush looper that is new to me. And I've been, um, fervently learning it and, and working with it and trying to get my, um, solo set together with that. And I've also got these, um, drum triggers that we're going to use for certain things. Um, so I think our, we're excited to have a bunch of extra musicians on this tour and, and somebody who's going to jump in and play with us is our favorite tech in the world, Aiden, um, will also double on some other instruments. So I think he's going to play some drum percussion and drum pad stuff. So he might join me on my rig in parts of the show. Um, and then I think that might be it. We might have to bring the Nord Electro 5D that we usually bring for other stuff. Um, but that's it. I, the big the big pieces I'm swapping out, I, I brought a Rhodes out on the last two tours, a suitcase model, and now we're going to try this piano because mm -hmm. of the acoustic set. I thought that would sound cooler and... Um, and that's the goal. So I, I'm trying to keep it minimal, but it's a little hard because I want to be able to cover a lot of ground sound-wise. So 
So that's what I think yeah. my rig is going to look like for this tour, I think. That's really interesting. I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing that in action. <laughs> cool. Me too. Yeah. I, I'm in love with this piano. I'm just worried about keeping it in tune and transporting it. If we can solve those problems, I think it's going to make me play a lot Wait, better. So this so. piano is. A, so. is I'm like not super well versed in keys, so I guess I could play the uh, the dummy here for the audience that also might not know. Uh, so this piano is it like an anal it's an analog piano with an electric out, like a quarter inch out. Yeah, that's essentially correct. It has its own EQ and it has a uh, tremolo as well. But yes, it's basically a real piano electrified. They just the soundboard is a little smaller than a normal piano. I think the number of strings it has might be smaller, but it plays just like yeah. a real piano. The reason I'm stoked is because it feels like I get to play my piano at home, but I get to actually be on the road with it. And playing the Nord is. The next best thing, but it's it just never feels the same. To yeah, Rue so. mentioned uh, when we were off when we were off camera for a bit or off mic. Uh, Rue said something along the lines of it having piezo pickups, which they actually started using guitars, which make them sound like full acoustics because piezo pickups are known for having a really wide frequency extension, so you can get more low end and high end mm -hmm. in it. Yeah, the the low end is incredible on this thing. It's just really thick. Um, I was just telling Casey it'd be there's all these songs with the deer hunter that would be really benefit from this songs like the March songs like, um, I think smiling swine, I think squeaky wheel. Um, these songs where I kind of pound da, 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 or I might pound a low note bah, yeah. bah, 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 or sound particularly amazing on this piano. So, um, I was saying we might want to think about including those songs in the mix just because of this keyboard <laughs> it, it doesn't um it, so it's not midi right it's like you said it's just like an electrified piano no yeah there's no midi to it i could get it modified to have midi maybe but no it doesn't have any yeah you can get a cp70b which does have oh. a midi out well mine is the 7db and i don't think it does have a midi out that does not okay. no you might, might have it backwards have or maybe that's the c or i could be wrong too but i'm pretty sure mine is the b and I, I'm pretty okay. sure I don't have a MIDI out. But it's so new to me. I just got it two weeks ago. So um, it's possible that I just didn't have find it. Have you tried yet. recording anything with it mm. since you got it? Like, how would the process go with that? Would you put a mic in it? Would you put the line out into your DAW? Just a DI, DI out. Yeah, it just takes a line out. Or you can amp it. Yeah, I well, you could. you can amp it. Um, yes, right now I have it running through my looping pedal and into a little keyboard amp for me to hear it bigger. Um, but yeah, it's just a direct line. That's that's why it's so useful live because you don't need to mic it, which is sort of a nightmare if you have a full band. And it's yeah. supposed to be just a wee bit more portable than a normal piano. It's basically just the closest I can get to having my actual piano there, you know. Um, so and I'm so excited to hear that. Cool. Yeah, me too. I can't wait. I think it's gonna be awesome. When it, when it comes to, I, I I'm not trying to derail from the production element too much, but it kind of tags on to something you said earlier. Uh, when it comes to playing songs live, um, obviously kind of being new to performing with the band, or at least the past few years you've been new to it, are there any songs that stand out to you as being, you know, a keyboardist particularly fun to play or that you that you really enjoy playing? Uh, of Deer Hunter songs, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, um, let me think. I think, I think my favorite things to play for keyboards for Deer Hunter... I love the gentle, sad song. This is a kind of a funny answer because there's a song called, um, what is it? Things Hide Away, I think, or um, the things, things that, that hide the, away. there's things that, the things that hide away. And 
Um, saved is sort of like this. Life and death is a little bit like this. Um, light, uh, we did a rendition of Light that was a little like this. I like the songs where I have to be really subtle and careful. So we did a version of Things That Hide Away. I think that was the one where I did sort of strings with the Nord, and I just really was just holding chords and swelling at the exact specific moments and trying not to make it swell too loud. And it took this... I like the challenge of concentrating with subtlety and with... um, and trying to make something just a little bit more beautiful, whereas that's a very different challenge than hold this... Ba, 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 steady while the whole band hammers it or this intro that I have to play perfectly because I'm naked out there and alone and there's no one else playing and so if if I drag or I speed up it's kind of obvious like those are different kinds of challenges to me but I think the ones I like the best are when I am delicately trying to add a little thing and so when I would do Saved I think that song would start with me and Casey maybe I think that's the one I'm thinking of um, that and uh, Life and Death and I would get, and I also love, yeah, I don't know. I just love those moments. I think those are my favorite moments is when I have to do something delicately, but also wide out there. Like it's not a big loud moment. It's a quiet moment and it's a little More scary. Intimate. Yeah. It's really scary because you're really out there. And if you do it just right, you can make these super beautiful parts the way they're supposed to be beautiful, you know? Um, so that it's a little counterintuitive because it's not a, t- a moment that I think shows off any particular uh, um, agility on the keyboard or anything like that. It's more like it's this challenge that somehow requires... It's almost harder to do that for me than it is for me to go dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun like the beginning of um, Squeaky Wheel, for instance, which is one of my favorite songs. But that it's that's not as hard to me as fitting into this really naked picture, you know? Do you have a click in your ear when you play then? Um, we do a thing that's, that it's interesting where I think I don't have a click exactly from the source. Nick has a click and, and we send, and then he plays a click for us with a drum pad. So he hears a click, I think, throughout everything, and then he will cue me in. And so if it's a long intro, like the beginning of, um, um, is there anybody here? That's what it's called, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Um that that track the beginning is me playing piano alone for a long time boom 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 just hitting that and he will keep this click in my ear with him playing it along with me so we could just patch in the actual click but that allows him to cue us in and then we don't have to hear hear click and we can just try and lock in with him so it's kind of a way of us getting a little click when we need it and so um so yeah those intros when we're doing a whole song like that um I will probably have to have a click. There's very few times we're off a click. Maybe on this tour with the acoustic stuff, we might. Usually we are. Um, this acoustic part of the tour, maybe we'll get off click for a couple things. I don't know. That'd be fun. With regards to uh, writing your parts, I think you definitely shine out a lot more on, on the latest EP, on what is as all should be. Okay. Uh, were, you, were you given a lot more freedom when it came to writing your keys parts because there's definitely you can definitely tell that really okay yeah i i i um you know we've you've we have this dedicated keys player i i see i think so i guess i feel like those songs were written so fast that um and oh predominantly by casey that i feel like 
It was me fitting into what was there. I may have influenced a couple little things here and there, melodically and stuff, but mostly I felt like, and the recording sessions were really fast and um, sort of stressful, just in that you don't, you feel bad with the, in this person's house making them listen to us do the same thing over and over, so you really want to nail it as fast as you can for everyone's sake. Um, and so um, I don't feel like I... I took a lot of time to write anything particular. I don't know if maybe there's some of my color in there. I'm sure my like inversions and the chord choices, the way I, but I, I don't think I determined much what the chords would be. I just might voice them in my particular way. And I think I had a lot of leeway in terms of what sounds I might use, you know? So I would, inf I may have had a lot of influence on the sounds that were used. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, arrange, arrangement wise, I mean, I, I mean, not so much writing the, yeah. the songs, but arrangement wise, you can definitely tell. That's cool. That I appreciate a, that. Yeah, and it's really good, by the way. Like, the, I love the. Thank you. You fit in so well with awesome. the rest of the, the lineup. It's great. It's really great. That's great. I think there's Beyond the Pale. I think I did a bunch of stuff in post that was, um, that was more soundscapey. That was more. Um, yeah. out there because I had more time we were home already and so I could take time and build out these ideas so I think I did a bunch of random stuff in that track that I remember the rest it felt like we pretty much did it there whatever sound I used in that time was the sound it was going to be and the part I played was the part I played and you know yeah and how do you think did, did do you differ much from Casey's original keys parts on on songs from earlier records uh, when you play live or have you kind of reimagined a lot of them no I, I i think the goal is to get them as close as i can to those uh if there's any little nuances that i would do more naturally as a keyboardist then i might do that but i don't i i don't make efforts to rearrange them much i'm mostly trying to figure out what was played and a lot of times there's two or three parts at least so i might prioritize and figure out what i can do and what i can't do but um I don't do as much reimagining. On this tour, we're talking about reimagining a bunch of these songs. So there may be more of that on this tour than ever before of me coming up with my own approach to it. But in general, any song that's been recorded up till now, uh, Act 5, is me trying to learn the part that's on there. And if it's not exact, that's just me screwing up. <laughs> we're having fun. Yeah, we're having fun. I mean, stuff will evolve over tour. So, sure, by the end of the tour, I might play stuff a little bit different. But I'm not going to substitute a chord or something. Like, a, you know, I'm not going to change the progressions in any way. Or I, maybe I might switch a sound here or there. It just depends on how iconic it is. Like, the Bittersweets 4, I'm not going to change from that um, accordion piano sound to, like, a Rhodes or something. That would seem weird to everybody, you know? Maybe some more air horns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cue the air horn. <laughs> when it when it comes to um, kind of your your creative involvement, not only in what you're performing now, but like we we talked about your kind of uh, creative versatility with your your solo stuff and your earlier stuff. I've kind of gone through a lot of genres and uh, topics and things like that. We had a question from Troy Miller over in the group uh, who basically asked if you had an unlimited budget. So I mean, if there was no kind of resources constraint. What what could you imagine yourself doing creatively? Like, what's what what would be a dream thing for you to to be creative on? Um, I would be stoked. I think in general, I'm a little mad at myself that I haven't thrown a more a time in my life to exploring uh, 
virtual reality programming, not, not quite programming, but the, the production of, of that medium is particularly of interest to me. 3D soundscape? Yeah, but it's not even music. Like, I think in general, I have always, I have always, I wish I was in a less explored medium. I, I very much, um, music is like what I know and what I've done, but I'm, I very much wish I was exploring a medium that was brand new and that's the closest thing to that, that seems like it will catch on enough that you could be in the forefront of it. And there's still uh, so much unexplored territory there. So I would say if what I really should be doing with my life is starting a VR company and actually creating new content to it. But that's not because I want to know what music does in that space particularly. I do think there's a lot you can do with music in that space that hasn't been touched yet, but... Um, it's more, I just have this weird glitch in my personality about pioneering and wanting to be, or like I, I've, I've relaxed it quite a bit over my life, but I, early on in my life, I wouldn't want to make a song that, that sounded like something else. I, I'm failed over and over because you're, you're like a sponge and you soak up these ideas and then you repurpose them. But in general, I just love new things i love being surprised by something and so i think that um i think it would be if you ask me unlimited budget it would be give me a medium that's brand new that nobody's doing or very few people and right now that sounds like vr to me and then go explore that area and and break rules or or there are no rules there yet that's why i would want to do it um, do you do you think? Um, I mean, maybe someday logistically. I mean, I'm sure it's another thing. But do you think you'd like to marry the idea of like an interactive experience with some of the music you do? Like, have you ever thought of like kind of an outside the box approach to like uh, making music more interactive or something like super weird and creative like that? Yes, I would love love to do that. I, the 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 irony that I make somewhat um, narrative cinematic ish music and there's no cinematic element isn't lost on me there's um and i get hit up from time to time from someone that wants to make something into a play or into whatever but um that's only due to lack of budget and contacts i think that i haven't mm. merged into that world or at least have a lot more of that because that's really where my heart is i i watch more movies say than i do listen to music or i um and i'm I'm just, yeah, I'm just stoked about that, what you could do with music in that setting, interactive or otherwise, um, is just way more interesting to me than writing my thousandth breakup song, <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> and the world's millionth and a half breakup song, you know, like, I just, not that I'm not trying to pigeonhole myself, but like, you know. No, like, when, whenever I do, like, a, a live acoustic show or something, I always kind of refer to myself as another sad white dude with a guitar. Like, at, <laughs> yeah. at a certain point, you're just kind of adding to that, that already pretty pervasive kind of stuff. Yeah, style. I just feel like... But people eat it up. Yeah, they do. I, I just think that, I don't know, if I'm being cynical and I, I get to the point where I'm like, I don't know why the world actually needs any more music. We could spend the rest of our life listening to songs and still never get through a, a millionth of them. And I get, and and that's just the snarky side of me wanting to be in some medium that's new, and I I don't have to worry about if where I got this from or if anyone else explored it. I just know it's wide open. So um, I don't know why that's about me, and I don't even think that's like the right way to be or the wrong way. I just know that about myself. Um, so I'd be one of the first people to try and go to Mars, even if I knew I couldn't get back. That kind of guy, you know. Or for some reason, I just want to do that. I don't know why. 
Yeah, I thought a, a while back they were doing like some sort of lottery system for people to go to Mars. I don't yeah. know what ever happened to that. I applied. I didn't get in. It's um, oh, bummer. It, well, they were trying to make it into a reality show. It was called Mars One, and they were going to fund it through the reality show. I think they have since realized they aren't going to pull it off, but I don't know. Jesus. Uh, well, well, we're launching a crowdfunding uh, <laughs> yeah, get me to Mars. A crowdfunding campaign right now to get Gavin Castleton to Mars. <laughs> Please contribute. That'd be great. It'd be the end of my career. Like you'd hear a track every 10 years with the distance or something, and then by then it would be even more out of touch. That'd be amazing. We're going to make it happen, definitely. Craig, get on that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway, Rude, did you, did you want to... Is there some more technical stuff you want to dig into? Because like I said, it's all Greek to me, and I'm sure the keyboard stuff is super in-depth. Uh I think we've touched on a lot of it, really. I think, uh, I don't think we should go too, too geeky, just for fear of, of, of listeners, you know, not, Nodding not off. knowing what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I had, uh, I did have one question for the budding musician. Uh, since Gavin, you've been touring pretty much your whole life for, from what it seems, since for like, what, two decades now? I guess so. 96-ish, yeah. Yeah, so you've been doing with that for a while, as well as like making music. Do you have any like, do you have any recommendations that like not like you know the try every day kind of thing, but something genuine that you would recommend to someone who would first start out touring or first starting out trying to become a serious musician or anything? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think number one, uh, well, man, there's probably a lot, but I I think that the in understanding the difference as soon as you can between practice and intentional practice it will make the difference between you um succeeding and not that if you are and what i mean by that is if you're a person that just puts in two hours a day you won't get as far at whatever you're working whatever you're practicing as you will if you put in 20 minutes of concentrated practice so as an example if i'm practicing drums i can sit down and put on an album and play along with it for an hour or I can recognize that my left hand doesn't like to hit on the same beat as my right foot. So I need to just make my body do that for 20 minutes until it allows me to do it. That's intentional mm. practice. Really, really focused practice is, um, is the difference between getting good at something and just using a lot of your time getting okay at something. So um, it takes a person that doesn't shy away from challenge or, or you know, the hard part like it's basically find the hardest part about practicing and do just that and you'll get way you'll get where you want to go way faster it just takes a certain personality to to love doing that but it's a big important thing and i think a lot of people don't distinguish between those two types of practice so i'd say that in terms of musicianship i'd say um don't don't confuse having artistic integrity with um not wanting to talk or think about money, that those two things have nothing to do with each other and that you need as an artist, especially in this world to, or in this country, I should really say, you, you need to really understand business and get your head around it and think about it in a way um, because otherwise you, you're just guaranteeing you're not going to be doing this very long or you're going to be taken advantage of pretty heavily. Um, so that would, that would be my business advice. And I think other than that, my one other, you know, big piece of advice would be it's really easy to get caught up in all the reasons why something failed. And by fail, I don't mean disastrous. I mean that you play a show and it doesn't seem like anyone bought your CD or you do this and it doesn't seem like it, it mattered or whatever. But I think you 
the beauty of being a musician is you can always go back to the songwriting and say, write a better song. You may not be attractive enough, you may not have the right manager, or you may not have the opportunities as the guy next to you, but there's one thing that's guaranteed, and that's the better you get at writing a song, the more successful you're going to be. So I think I spent a lot of energy in my life getting hung up on all the reasons why this didn't happen for me, or this didn't happen, or, you know, uh, all the, all the, which may have been totally valid, um, but it actually doesn't matter as much as the response for an artist should always be, let me go back to my bedroom and write a better song. Let me write a better song. Because it's a domino effect that if you do that part right, everything else is way easier. Yes, you can make it to superstardom having never written a good song, but it's way easier all those steps down the line are easier if the song itself resonates really well, if you do that in a way that is really compelling, then selling that to people is the easy part. So the harder your marketing is for you, that usually points to the song itself. Not all the chances you didn't get or the benefits other people have. It's usually like, yes, but go back and write the song better. And you always can, there's no doubt. The song I wrote yesterday, I can write better this morning, you know. And so, wow, I like that's a great answer. Thank you. I, I like that as I, 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 yeah. I don't know. It's easy in a way, you know. Like that's the easy part about being a musician is you can always do that part. Nobody can stop you from doing that part. You just keep working at writing the actual song. But you will spend a lot of your time marketing. But imagine the hours you can save marketing. And by marketing, I mean everything from booking your tour to promoting on Facebook to whatever you're doing. All that. All that time can get minimized even more if you just write better songs. And I say that as someone that still hasn't written the songs at the caliber I want to write them at. I just mean, you know, that that's the that should always be your focus is going back to that. Yeah, your musicianship and composition. Yeah, that's like, yeah, and even like one thing I've learned too is don't is if you can do a bunch of different styles. Like let's say for example, if you're a guitarist, if you can shred like a madman, but the song doesn't call for it, hold it back. It's like music's kind of like a joke, you know? If you if you tell a joke and it works for 2 seconds, don't make it a minute. Sure, yeah, totally. That's great advice. But Yeah, I don't know, that's why I say it cuz like bouncing what you were saying, it's like it makes sense with the intentional practice. If you the difference between like a beginner and an expert is that an expert has failed more times than the beginner has ever tried. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's like a meme. That's a really good thing. Yeah. Put that in front of a picture of a forest and I will totally <laughs> reshare it. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's like that's a key thing. And with the intentional practice, that's like, yeah, you even with the shows and all that stuff, if you fail one of those things, just keep at it. Yeah. Focus uh, not only keep at it, focus on that. Like that's mm -hmm. that's the thing you need to work on. It's really easy to to jam along with the record because that's fun. It's, practice isn't all about fun. It should be find your pain point, find your blind spot, and do that. And the more you just do that, the faster you'll get to where you want to go. Yeah. Well, speak, speaking of kind of uh, inspiration for new musicians, and I, before the show, we talked a little bit about uh, Hobo Johnson. Uh, we both kind of talked about our perspectives there. Um, are there any artists these days that uh, maybe aren't even as well known that you've you've really kind of gravitated toward like you enjoy what they're doing creatively or you, you like they're putting themselves out there like i guess what, what are you listening to these these days that kind of um keeps you involved in what's going on outside of what you're doing yeah i could do that um i will i'll i'll even break them into buckets so i would say <laughs> um 
for songwriters, for like people that are just writing songs that blow my mind, um, I would think uh, Jeffrey Martin is a Portland artist that I love his songs. Ethan Gruska is from Bell Brigade. I love his music. Um, Courtney Marie Andrews is an artist that I have toured with and sang on one of my records once, and I love her songwriting. Emily King, uh, Joanna Newsom's phenomenal lyricist, Blake Mills, phenomenal writer, Leslie Feist, I love. Gabriel Kahan, uh, K-A-H-A-N-E, is probably one of the greatest composers in America right now, and phenomenal performer wow. and funny guy, very unknown outside of that circle it's like older people seem to know him but he's incredible um you know and he's not like an old guy by any means but i think he deserves he and he does all these amazing projects that will be he'll write these musicals and he'll write he'll do these projects about specific areas a little like sufjan stevens will where he might um pick a town and do a thing about it or something but he's just really and he's really funny guy so i would definitely recommend him for songwriting for I'd say for rock music, um, my friends Rare Futures are one of my favorite rock bands playing out there a lot. Buke and Gase is a killer band, a duo that's doing really innovative things. Um, Mr. Barrington is a band that I don't think is together anymore, but does super innovative things with MIDI and rhythm and certain things they're doing. They have one of my favorite drummers in that band. Bent Knee, as everybody on this board knows, I'm sure, is a phenomenal band. Um, oh my god that new single yeah they're killing it and uh, Knee Body and um, Nate Woods Band 4 are pretty phenomenal for jazz kind of stuff uh, along with like the snarky puppy guys and that kind of thing um, and of course Mr. Bungle that would be rock and then <laughs> for Electronica and R&B which, so those are kind of the corners of music I might get into lately I would say my favorite Electronica R&B kind of producers an artist might be Sohn is, is an artist that me and Rob Parr from the Deer Hunter love and listen to religiously. Sohn? Like the band that sounds like Tool, that one? I don't think they sound like Tool, so probably not. S-O-E-N? No, S-O-H-N. And he's, okay. he's a producer from Nordic Country. I can't remember where, and he's just phenomenal. Um, Daniel Caesar is a great new singer. Cesar, I guess, is a is a R&B singer that I love. Uh, James Blake is just killing it in production and voice and songwriting. Um, Lido... Mm, Jordan Reiki, Sun Lux, Flying Lotus, Hot Sugar. These are all like electronica acts that have sort of an R&B tinge to them. Phil Boudreaux is an awesome musician and artist. Uh, Anomaly, killer keyboardist with sick rhythm ideas. And Jai Paul mm. is a... Do you know Jai Paul, Rue? He must be out there, right? He's. I think he's British. You know, it rings a bell now that you say it. He's a big underground uh, artist out there whose record didn't quite drop, but it got leaked, and it was really interesting and just groovy and amazing. I love his stuff. Um, but I don't think he's done anything for a while, or at least not that I've been able to find. Um, but I like his music, too. Um, so, yeah, and I, I have a close friend of mine, the the singer from Groovis Mall, um, put out an electronic project. He's one of my favorite musicians in the world, and his, uh, his project's called Bell, B-E-L-L-L, and it's on Spotify. And I think I actually I, I just listened to that because I'm doing this challenge where I listen to as many new albums as possible. Oh, good! Uh, like which is, which by the way, the, the list is like five million albums <laughs> that I'm barely chipping my teeth on. But I think that was one of the ones I listened to. Cool. So I think I, I might have helped mix some of it, or maybe I just gave him mixed notes. I can't remember, but he's one of my oldest friends, literally my oldest friend alive, and also just one of the most talented, creative people. He also does a lot of the artwork for my merch and other stuff like that. Um, but I, 
I'm not just saying that because he's my friend. I just love what he comes up with musically. And so, but it's an instrumental record. That's one you put on while you're working. And, and it just like, it's such a neat colors on that record. Um, I, I should promote Red Poison, actually. Give a shout out to Red Poison. That's my... Yeah, um, I was going to bring up Red Poison, actually. Yeah, it's like my stepdaughter's rock band that I'm very big fan of and also forced to produce. Um, <laughs> and I'm dropping a new... Uh, EP, a Red Poison EP in, in a couple of weeks. So, um, it's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I actually was listening to some of that in prep for this too. Cause I remember <laughs> you doing some stuff on like Reddit about it a little while ago. Like you had kind of a, a post on Reddit that was going pretty well. Um, oh, and yeah. I went and listened yeah, to it. It's right. actually, it, it's pretty, pretty cool. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like one of those little gimmicky no, it's, uh, type of things. Like it, it actually sounds pretty good. So it's, was, it's weirdly, um, appealing to me. It's one of the few, that and like Ibu Gogo are two projects I've done where I actually am like, I'm a fan of this. It's pretty weird to both do it and be a fan, but I I actually it touches me in these certain ways. Her her um naivety and the innocence of what she says and, and it's an interesting production challenge. She'll just come in and kind of sing nonsense and I'll track it all and then I'll cut it all into phrasings and things yeah, to make how, it into how old is she? She's six now, but most of those recordings are from when she was four and five. Wow, that is. Yeah. I mean, that that's really just really cool that you're you're kind of involving her in the music process like that. I mean, that's someone that's definitely gonna try to be creative when they're older. I mean, I, I imagine so. I hope so. Yeah, I thought it's it's really funny. It's, it's she uh, she thinks she's a celebrity because everyone she meets, which is just her parents' friends, all know about it. So they'll say, yeah, yeah, and they'll sing her songs to her. And she just, and I asked her once. So how many people do you think have heard this? And she goes, ah, at least a million. I mean, I don't know. Like she was just convinced. To be fair, though, she is in in a certain sense famous because some random guy on the internet's talking about it right now, and no <laughs> yeah. one's ever heard of me. So yeah, she's already true. more famous than I am. Yeah, that's true. She's probably more famous than I am. She's definitely doing well. Um, but yeah, she's got. We've got five songs that are just about wrapped up, and that'll. I'll just put that out soon. That and the neat thing about that is it'll be on Bandcamp, and it'll be to donate to her college fund if you buy it. So. Uh, the whole awesome. goal with that that's was incredible. to give her a, more of an education um, fund, oh, that's awesome. fund yeah. moving forward. Yeah, so it's sort of a charity project in a way. But um, but yeah, that's about it for my list of recommendations. I would think um, that I, off the top of my head, like what I can think of, that those are kind of things I'm. In. I mean, I'm feeling Lizzo a lot right now. And, oh my god, that and, new Lizzo album is amazing. Yeah, it's insane. It's, it's so like good. it's one of my favorite of the years. Like, yeah, I, I went into it completely blind because it was on my. That, like I said, I'm doing that challenge where I listen to as much new, new music as possible. Yes, yeah. yeah, literally. Every time he hears it, every time someone says an album name that came out this year, he has to add it to the list. Yeah. So I make it intentional to tell him the worst albums that I've heard all year <laughs> yeah. and make him add it right on. So they're on the list. It's been fun, funny, but yeah. a little exhausting. But I put on Lizzo a couple weeks ago, and I I didn't even know what to expect, and it was just really really great. I mean, a lot of yeah, a lot of it's a, incredible. A fusion of like old styles and new like it's kind of classic contemporary yeah. in that sense like it's just it's really really good the guy that wrote and produced uh most if not all of it is the singer from uh facing new york from that band i told you about earlier uh, from the west coast really uh, which still exists oh. yeah so although yeah, you said you're not like kevin bacon it seems like you do have some degree of connection to pretty much everything <laughs> just, <laughs> just randomly that's again from just being older i guess i don't know <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that's it for music stuff that I can think of. Let's bring this into uh, spicier waters, if you guys are game for that. <laughs> okay. So, What's that? as uh, Hunter was saying, and I was doing the same thing, uh, we like to prep prepare before um, every episode when we have a guest on. So I was looking through your social medias, through your music and everything, okay. and I completely forgot until today that you had the uh, whole Craigslist fiasco. Oh, 
going back yeah, and, and forth. Yeah, it kind of relates to my Craigslisting today, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So, would you care to talk about that? Give some back, behind the scenes of it? Because it's it a pretty wild ride. For anyone who doesn't uh, know about that, go over to uh, Gavin Castleton's Instagram, and he has a whole story. And I was equally awaiting each installment, figuring out what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I released him episodically. Um, it was a conversation that took place over maybe a week with this scam artist um, trying to do this classic scam where they pay you way too much for something and then send you a check that won't actually... Your bank will, will give you cash for it, but then five or so days later will reveal it didn't clear and they will take it out of your account. And by that time, you've sent this cash to this person and you are out 1200 bucks or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So having known full well that that was what was going on, I just tried to lead him down the most disturbing and confusing experience of his life um (laughs) i think they call that scam baiting there's a whole subreddit about it and um and it's a pastime for a lot of people now i think it's a thing that people do um but um yeah i mean i I won't spoil it. it it's kind of funny to me um or at least i i got as much or more enjoyment out of doing it than probably anybody reading it i just it, it's one of i those, had so much fun with it it's where i amused myself with some of the ideas in it um there's also a season two of that that will be eventually released it, it's been really hard to get that guy engaged again um given how the season finale went down but, sure. <laughs> yeah. um, but i do intend to release the season two um at some point <laughs> soon um i really enjoyed doing it it just gave me something every day that made me laugh that was like you know um but yeah i don't know i don't know i would like to know more about that guy and what his life was like yeah i i actually i almost got scammed or someone tried to scam me once on facebook and i i I decided to go a different approach with it and just basically call him out on the bullshit immediately and then I, I didn't do this in a way to like screw over someone else, but like I explained to him everything he was doing wrong to scam me. Like in a way, I was teaching him to be a better scammer. Like I was like, okay, look, dude, using <laughs> a picture that's easy to search. You're you're making all these all these obvious mistakes. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? So it, it is insane. I mean, because it's on one hand, it's it's spam and it's annoying to everybody, but there is someone also on the other side of it. You got to wonder, you know, why exact? What's their motivation behind? Uh, doing this i know a lot of countries uh perhaps that aren't as well off kind of uh, have a need for for those type of markets i know this oh yeah so it's it's interesting to kind of get in the mind of them because it's it goes beyond just being regular spam you know yeah there's a an episode of reply all one of the gimlet podcasts that they actually hunt down one of these guys not the exact same scan that was perpetrated against me but they they chase this guy down they go visit him in Singapore, wherever he is, um, Indonesia maybe, and um, and try to understand exactly that. That I'm way more interested in that. Like, um, I d- there's no part of me that thinks that guy is just some evil dude. I imagine he's feeding a family and struggling. So that's one of the downsides of blazing somebody that hard. Um, you know, you can justify it that they he blazed me, but um, but some of the scam baiting is really kind of mean like that. So um, I think that's something to be conscious of. Season two may uh, feature a very compassionate twist at the end. <laughs> the the uh, I know one of the most common scams that people do is they uh, they say when they do this, it's kind of along lines with what you do where they deposit money but then they withdraw more. But instead of them depositing money, what they do is they go to your uh, they have you download software so they can monitor and work on your computer, and they do use an inspect element on your bank account to make it look like you have more money in there than you do. Huh? That's funny. That's really funny. and then. The, 
Yeah, and there's videos out there of people kind of like getting them to go through that and then putting them through the rigmarole. You know, Steve, you know an awful lot about this. It's kind of suspicious. <laughs> well, because I just know like the behind the scenes stuff of how they do that, being in tech. Like I work in tech for a living. So nice. when I when I see so when I see the um so I saw this one guy went to a went to one of their like warehouses and um I think this one was in India and you see that there's like the hundred computers, like laptops laid out with people on the phone with a headset and just going at it. And there's going from person to person to person. They have like lists of people that go down. Oh yeah, totally. It's just a call center. Um, oh, that's insane. Yeah, it's a business for sure. That's what they do in that episode mm-hmm. of Reply All. They chase down the business guy and try to figure out what is this organization like, you know? Yeah, and it's kind of it's fascinating. It's kind of hard to, to reconcile. Like like you said, it's, it's easy to see someone who's scamming as like being evil and just trying to screw people over, which to a certain degree they are. You know, they, they prey on the people who are less likely to be privy to it, like older people and stuff like that. But then you kind of think about how you know predatory marketing in general is just a, a world problem. It's it's hardly isolated to these these scams, these third world countries. Like uh, there's a lot of kind of market value to um, manipulating people. So it, it, I think it's it's a little too easy to just dismiss it as oh this person is terrible. So I, I kind of like that you took the approach of you know why why is this person doing it? Maybe be a little more compassionate. So but even so, the first season was was hilarious. So. First season is vicious. Second season might get compassionate. <laughs> yeah, oh I think the thinking often is if I can keep this guy distracted, he, at least he's not doing it some someone else. Um, I've never, I've never been targeted by these kind of people. Oh, really? I feel like I'm missing out. Yeah, I feel like they target Americans more. Totally, that's I feel a like, shame. I'm sure, they do. That's such a shame. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing out. I've, I want someone to to try. You know. Well, because like a lot of scams, like one of the most famous ones is like someone calling you from like the saying they're from the IRS, even the IRS would never call you like ever. And like yeah, one time they called a uh, they called a lawyer who works within that realm and with the IRS. Huh. So he had to go back and forth with them. That's like a lot of what it is. Yeah. And it kind of it's really frustrating because I get those like every other week now. Well, kind of, kind of, yeah, I've, I've I've never got a call like that or anything. I'm I'm I'm, I'm jealous in a way. I, I think Gav's over there working on scamming himself. So, <laughs> well, kind of, kind of piggybacking off of uh, the the season one of that, uh, I think what stands out uh, to a lot of people who've interacted with you is that you do have a really a great sense of humor. Like it's it's it's, it's very easy to laugh with you, and I I think we've all had a blast just talking to you here. Uh, do you, you talked earlier about how you're kind of into film and stuff? Do do you have um, like particular comedy movies that you think kind of encapsulate your sense of humor or? Yeah, you know, when it comes to like media that's not music, what are you what are you drawn to as far as that kind of stuff? Sure, yeah. Um I think so I I like I said I'm a big big movie person and a fairly decent TV person, probably a little snooty about it, but um I think in terms of comedy, there's there's classic comedies that influence my sense of humor, like Waiting for Guffman and and uh, Windy City Heat, maybe, and uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, um, maybe a lot of Charlie Kaufman stuff, um, which are also you know my favorite movies adaptation and and uh, stuff like that would be some of my favorite movies that also have this comedic element. I would also say maybe more relevant or more current. I'm noticing more. Um, horror movies or serious movies that also have this incredible sense of humor under them, but they're kind of dark. So, like, one immediate example off the top of my head would be Midsummer is also really funny while also being pretty um, pretty scary for people. 
I, oh my god, I was laughing during the Blood Eagle scene. Yeah, exactly. Like there's these really um, they he that Ari. Um, it does a really the director does a really good job and the writer same guy does a really good job of Ari Aster I think his name is he does a really good job of mixing those worlds and I'm seeing that more and more and I really like that that is like the perfect um, Venn diagram of of what appeals to me in drama right now so I'm a big horror movie fan I'm a big like you know weighty drama fan but if you can somehow sneak in really um funny stuff it's like every, it's like everything i ever wanted so i would say like atlanta is like that um Bask- Atlanta's amazing yeah baskets is a little like that um succession is really like that it's one of my favorite movies shows of all time i think um oh also for just pure comedy chris elliott and Eagleheart were like they're kind of like he was kind of like my Mr. Bungle where when I was 14 and 15 what and you know those teenage years he helped formulate what was going to be my sense of humor or at least the beginning of it Bob and David and that kind of stuff Tenacious D the early early era of like that kind of um comedy it was a big deal for me but I think you're but to get back to that sort of interesting twist between serious and Comedy, I think that's what interests me lately. I notice I love that the most. So you see it in Black Mirror, you see it in um, mm-hmm. Fargo, you see it in um, High Maintenance, you see it in um, Room 104, maybe, although that's more of like a Twilight Zone thing. You don't really see it. You see, like Veep is, I guess, more comedy, but, um, but all that is to say that I noticed that, that people are doing better at crossbreeding those genres right now in a way that hits my sweet spot. Because before I actually I, just had a conversation last night about that. It was, um, cause we all kind of agreed you need to have that tongue in cheek kind of attitude in making a horror film. Yeah. If you go at it like super serious, you know, like a lot of people watching have a dark sense of humor. And I, I do a uh, podcast on Area 22 where we review um, where we review movies and TV shows and all that geek culture. And uh, I was reviewing Midsummer, and I saw all of that, and I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty entertaining. But my co-host just hated it. Huh. I'm calling. I'm calling out Nigel on that. But it, it was like, <laughs> it's just like it, when you watch these kinds of movies, they do things like, for example, in Halloween, the 1978 one, I think it was, uh-huh. where you have Michael Myers. He mounted someone on the wall, but just the way he looked at it, it was like he was admiring his kill. Yeah, there's a sense of humor. It's just to such that. subtle ways. Yeah. Yeah, I and I but I think the humor's gotten so much better so that the, that weird mix. I like something that and I I think this is how I like my music too though. I like something that makes me cry and then the next minute I'm laughing and then the next minute like I want to experience the full breadth of human experience within a piece if that's doable. If it if it makes one of those elements weaker then it's not a great idea. And so for that reason, you know, something the shining might be a scarier movie than midsummer to me or something like that but but if it can if it can run the gamut of emotions i'm yeah, the, even the interesting more thing about like that. film and tv at the moment is it kind of has like an inverse relationship with what we were talking about earlier about like music music streaming uh because in, in a way like uh tv and movie streaming has almost opened up paths of creativity where people can do these kind of weird outside the box things that don't have to have a huge return because you can dump them on a streaming platform make them for cheap buy them for cheap so it's almost like the opposite of what things like Spotify and that are doing. Because there's a lot of really cool creative stuff out there that's just dumped straight to Hulu or straight to Netflix. And so I, I think I've been enjoying movies a lot more since that's become like a, a kind of a staple of modern entertainment. I think the well, only... They buy it up from Sundance. 
What's that? that that's, how, that's how Netflix works. They buy, they buy them all up from Sundance. They bring all the films and TV shows Sundance if Netflix likes it. They buy up a bulk of it and they just bring it as yeah. a Netflix original. But it's not... But they also gr- they greenlight a lot of really great shows and stuff too. Well, you're, yeah. you're looking at a renaissance of... Con- what you have is a huge... The, the reason those two worlds are different is because Spotify is not buying the content. They're not licensing the content. Right. Whereas you have... Amazon, iTunes, Hulu, Disney, uh, Netflix, etc., like a million of them, are throwing money at creative producers right now. So there's all this money to be had. So everyone can finally get their project made somewhere, to your point, Hunter, about there just being this plethora of new stuff. Whereas with Mm -hmm. music, you're not seeing a bunch of labels throwing money at stuff to get them. It would be, that's that's the difference is Netflix became the content. They pivoted and they made, instead of just a delivery service, they became the creators. Spotify is doing that, but they're doing it secretly and they're not paying top dollar. They're doing it with a bunch of fake accounts to make, all to dominate their playlists so that they can put take all the money from artists and give it to these select 50 to 100 quote unquote artists that are going to make the music. No doubt. So it's, if you had a bunch of Spotify's and iTunes, iTunes is throwing money, but not at much at, 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 like they're not, that's the weird difference in the movie industry. What you had was a bunch of people licensing music and in music, uh, I'm sorry, licensing movies and content. And in music, if anything, it feels like there are less labels now, or at least less money being thrown at artists mm-hmm. to make their craziest, weirdest, coolest stuff. We j- we have incredible distribution, but we don't actually have a great, patronage system you know right yeah and it has a lot to do with consumer attitude toward the product as well like i think a lot of people are are more willing to accept kind of avant-garde uh, interesting kind of films and shows than they are like out-of-the-box music totally so it's just That's it's, a good it's point, interesting yeah. the way that we we consume those things i mean it's very like uh pop music and, and things that are very very successful kind of follow a similar format to everything else whereas yep. like a lot of the movies that get a lot of praise are very kind of outside the box. So it's just interesting the way we consume that kind of media differently. I was also just thinking when you said that, I was thinking there's also this phenomenon of playlist dominating and radio originally, and you kind of get that with movies, but it was the, 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 the menu was the, the strict menu was usually what theaters could fit and would, would be willing to play. And now there isn't that. So I was thinking also when you, when you have this wide spattering of musical creativity, we the stuff rise because we're so playlist centric now and top listing centric around music. You notice we're not mm-hmm. as much obsessed with that with movies. That like you're not you don't log on to Netflix and they're and they're giving you a list of the top 100 movies right now. As, maybe you are, but not that I've seen. But like in a way, I think that that all that rises to the super poppy generic stuff rises to the top because music cultures also seem centered around lists and top lists. Whereas movies, yes, there are top lists, but the actual platforms you view them on aren't as much around that. Like they don't seem as centered around it. So maybe there's, that also makes room Mm. for a wider variety of the types of things that are happening, but it's still really homogenized. I mean, I don't give movies any huge credit for being all that creative. You are still watching the same exact story told the same way over and over and over. It's, it's only the anomalies that I'm interested in for myself. Like those are the movies that are going to stand out to me now because I'm really tired of that story. Yeah. I kind of wish that we could approach uh, music with a similar attitude, kind of, um, album listeners versus song listeners. I think you're like, you were mentioning, uh, 
I don't think it's really an attention span issue. I think it's just more of a people want to pack as much variety uh, and and uh, you know attractiveness into something as possible. Whereas, I mean, certain albums, whether they're conceptual or not, kind of tell a sonic story. Like, I mean, even if they don't have a story to them, it's it's interesting to see the way that you uh, do it. Do a track list, you know, how it rises and flows, and kind of how the songs move into each other. And it seems like with you know movies, we're we're a lot more, or movies and TV shows in general, we're a lot more. Uh, obsessed with going from beginning to end whereas music we chop it up so much that makes it so easily digestible that it can't really fall into this i guess creative medium that you have with like tvs and movies yeah i wonder if that makes me think about how it'd be interesting to see if movies just started doing the exact same list centric kind of delivery if an obsession if they were just three minutes long like part of me wonders if it's just also that if you give me the top 100 movies, I really am going to watch the top one and sec- the one and two, but it's not the same as going through the top 50 songs from your region on Spotify or right. whatever you're going to do with their list because y- people don't just go through lists of movies. It's a one-off experience. With songs, you are always queuing up more than one song. So the consumption rate is much higher with music. I wonder if movies were more bite-sized, if we would find they tended towards lists and that kind of thing at that point maybe it would be a playlist culture centric culture I, if they I think were something like black know. mirror because you mentioned black mirror and obviously you're a fan because you sample black mirror and i think uh was it waterboarding the song yes yeah good, you, you, good Hunter. thank you <laughs> I, I told you i listened to it <laughs> yeah that's awesome uh but yeah you did uh, you did that really good monologue there, <laughs> moving so on i sorry i don't mean to i just i want to get my point about black mirror i think black mirror kind of does that as well where i mean each episode is kind of like a movie i mean they're a short film in in a certain sense but they're they're much more small and bite-sized. So I and and that's been yeah. doing very successful. So yeah, that's true. But it's still not. It's still you still might do. I mean, TV is the bite-sized version of movies. But it's still not like. And so TV's I don't know might be a little more playlisty. But it just in general, I'm just thinking mm. you don't. It maybe that's a reason why it's not as much. It's not delivered the same way music is. And and all that is to say, the only thing, the only comment I'm trying to make about listing and top lists and all this and playlist is about how it makes this homogenized, the most popular music rise to the top instead of potentially the most creative or instead of whatever else sure. might be your ranking system. Is that in that may be a reason why music doesn't feel as exploratory as movies right now? Maybe. Steve, I didn't mean to cut you off. Were you wanting to throw something in there? I know you have like a theory about the cream no, cheese I was just, to talk about. No, I was just, <laughs> I was just uh, yeah. So I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned it. I don't know if it was on the air or off it was the air. Episode where, zero. Uh, I, I work with Mark. No, where I work with Mark from uh, Twisted Sister with Area 22 Productions. And uh, whenever I have a new mix that I finish or I show it to him, we have something that we refer to as the cream cheese, which is an industry term, I guess, from like when Twisted Sister was doing the big tours and everything. Uh, where essentially um, you need your music to reach a core demographic that is like the general audience, you know? Mm-hmm. Like Bring Me the Horizon is a good example. They start off as a deathcore band, went pop to achieve the cream cheese, right? Mm-hmm. And Twisted Sister did the same thing, starting off more as like a, a more niche punk rock band and then going out to like the more broader anthemic sound that they are now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that um, that's what Hunter's referring to. No, but what I was asking was... Uh, with the Black Mirror thing, did you have to go out and like uh, get the rights to samples for that, or was it just? No, I didn't at the time. Black Mirror wasn't over in America yet, and I didn't really realize it was gonna be. I just, I just loved it, and I wanted to put it um, in something, so I just did it. And I, 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 uh, I think it got kicked off a of YouTube at one point because of that, or something like. 
I kind of just let it do what it was going to do. And if it got removed, it got removed. That album, Blessed, has a bunch of uncleared stuff that I, I just, that was kind of part of the idea to me was to just use more egregious sampling. Uh, I think inspired a little bit by Frank Ocean's Nostalgia album where he just jacked the entire Hotel California and sang over it and put it out. I think I was just feeling a little brazen about taking those kind of liberties, but um, but uh, under the understand, I mean, I don't think there's that many, but there's also like a glaring Stevie Wonder sample in one of the songs and something like that. I just figured, yeah, these things will probably get taken off various platforms or whatever, but we just live in a very different time about um, IP at this moment in music. And so there are definitely some lawsuits happening, but um, there's just not much money here to be made that I'm not that worried about it. But yeah, um, we've talked about that a lot with the, with the podcast. Cause sometimes we intersperse music, but by the way, we might drop some, drop some of your music in here. Please don't sue us. Just getting that, just getting that out of the way. <laughs> just oh, want to yeah. make sure people can no, have context of the stuff we're sure, listening to and talking you. about. So yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Like, Thanks. I like I said, it. we did that with act one. We like, for example, there was a part where uh, me and Rue were discussing the uh, parallel distortion on the drums for the uh, inquiry of Miss Terry, I believe. Yeah. And we we just put that sample of the drums in so people can know, even if they're not like into production, they can hear what we're talking about. Totally. Mm-hmm. I think that's critical. And I think you have license to do that in podcasts to a certain degree. I think you're allowed. There's a law that says you can do something. Um, well, no, like as long as it's a certain amount and you're using it to explain something, I think you're allowed to. I can't it's remember. It's transformative purposes under fair use, kind of. I know it's in radio is very different. In radio, you can play like 30 seconds of like Family Guy and not have an issue. Huh. But like if you're doing like a if you're doing like a podcast, um, they can still get up in arms about it. And if you're playing just like let's say 30 seconds of the song, hmm. uh, even if it's contextual, fair use isn't what it kind of used to be. Okay. You, like. Legitimately, people attack you and say, oh, this is, we could say this is fair use, and we're like, we don't care. But obviously, I mean, fair use is important, because I mean, something like what, what you did with sampling Black Mirror, I mean, obviously what you did isn't going to be any sort of market replacement for the original source material. Like, no one's going to listen to your song instead of watching the episode. It might even have the opposite effect, where they try to figure out where that came from. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to fair use, it's, it's important to be able to pay uh, kind of homage to these things you enjoy and that artistically kind of tie into what you're doing and do it in a way that doesn't have a direct market yeah. you know, competition. Yeah. I, I I guess I wish I had hit up Charlie Brooker and asked him, maybe through Twitter or something, and just on the off chance he would say, yeah, go ahead, I don't care. I don't really know. I should. I probably should have done that. Um, I just That actor's been doing great work, though. I mean, he oh, did... Yeah. Uh, get Out. Did get yeah, Out. He's phenomenal. Oh, my God. Oh, that was great. So good. That's funny, too, because and he that was monologue, so unknown at that time in, in America. Yeah, that monologue he did... I think probably opened a lot of doors for him because it was a really, really great. The monologues are tough to do. I mean, especially it's one. It seems at least close to a continuous take, and it's just it's very difficult to capture the emotion when it's just you not playing off of anything. And so it really showed his his kind of strength as an actor. Yeah, they talk about it in Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror Mirror book. They go through each episode and they talk about how he did that in the tryout, and that's how they knew they wanted him, and they were just blown away mm-hmm. by how he how he performed it mostly ad-libbed or something i can't quite remember but i remember them talking about that particular speech and how it impressed them what he was able to do with it it was kind of neat and that's why it obviously impacted me i mean i love that that's my favorite episode in that season because of that moment and uh and just the general aesthetic of that that episode but anyway. what do you think of bandersnatch yeah um, I, you know, I th- I was just thinking that like back when you were saying what what would you Hunter? I think you were asking about what would you get into if you had anything, mm-hmm. and I was talking about VR a little. I also think that Banner Snatch is finally 
pioneering an idea. Clearly, they were test driving it for Netflix. Clearly, it has a lot of marketing potential for product placement and other things that are disturbing. And I think Charlie Booker knows that and is sort of joking about it. But like, I think I thought that was finally. It, to me, it's just always been. You know, obviously, video games are becoming movies, and movies are becoming video games. Why are are we not at the point? It just seems obvious that very soon I'll be able to deep fake my own face onto the screen to be a character, and then decide what he does every once in a while. And I think there, I thought Bandersnatch was really creative. I don't think it was a slam dunk as far as a great story. I just thought it was really clever and smart and interesting. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was like a, it was like a beta testing to me and like a pilot program for what you could do. Um, and so I was fascinated by it and very excited that they did it. I've been waiting for a choose your own adventure type thing in movies. It seems like they've tried things like that yeah. in the sixties and seventies, but it's about time that a real platform gave it a real attempt. And I think, I think that was really interesting and pioneering. And I, I would love to be involved with something like that. That would be really cool, even if it was just music. I've talked about doing things like that before, where um, I have albums that have tangents like that, and you can choose whether or not to... Like, I'm going to release a thing... Uh, this is going to ruin the surprise, I guess, but whatever. I said my brand was vulnerable, right? So I, I, was, <laughs> I would like to release an album... Um, a re-release of home at some point maybe when i do vinyl or whatever that has um alternate endings that you can pick from i kind of did that in the album but there's other ones that i didn't put out and um the idea of you getting to choose which playlist if that's the only functionality and stuff like that i think anything that augments a piece and lets the user keep re-experiencing it in different ways so that they keep finding new things that is the ultimate to me because longevity is so hard to do in music now because your album is not talked about four seconds after you release it i think if you can figure out clever ways to make people listen to it again because they're going to find something new in it i think that's smart and creative so i'm really interested in ideas like that 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 sounds really cool and you kind of you kind of tease there that home uh, may sometime soon be on vinyl yeah i always wanted it on vinyl i just know that to do it i'm gonna mix it again and i just think that's such a can of worms i have to get into these files and i have to get this program i don't have anymore and i have to do all these things um and it's just to make that mixing of the album was an incredible um process to to revisit that is kind of hard um so I don't um I don't know when that'll happen. I just know of all my records that's the one I would want on vinyl. I do think I'm going to try and get Bullet Lever Key on vinyl for this tour if I'm lucky and maybe one other album maybe Blessed on vinyl for this tour which will be my first real vinyl for solo stuff. So Deer Hunter fans are just so supportive of vinyl that it seemed like that would be a fun way to get those records in their hands and uh, Oh yeah. And we're all a bunch of hipsters. Yeah, I don't actually do vinyl myself, but I like it. I mean, I I mostly like the real estate it gives you with the artwork, but um, but yeah, that, I I've always hoped to do it. It's always been a question of money and time. Never never out of not liking the idea. Well, uh, I mean, I I know we had some people ask about home, particularly on on vinyl. So I, any updates you have on that uh, as as it progresses? Cool. You know, I'm sure everyone would love to hear about. Yeah, it. I'm sure it'll happen probably next year. I doubt I can get to it by the end of this year. Definitely not for this tour, but I know that Bullet Lever Key and these other ones are, I can put out. I don't need to mix them again per se to do it, and so, so yeah, it'll get there. I'll do it. I promise. 
<laughs> All right, so we had a, a final question because we just broke an hour again. So uh, Hunter uh, wanted to uh, bring this with a great way to end this. What do you think? You ready to go, Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I know I just talked about it a second ago, but I honestly don't remember what the question was. Oh, yeah, it was about the... Okay, so Gavin and I were talking a little bit before the, the podcast about he kind of... Uh, you know, cut his teeth on getting in the podcast game at one point. He wanted to do like a, a bad tour stories type thing. Oh yeah. And I was, I was wondering if you had any uh, bad tour stories of your own. Cause I mean, it's someone who's kind of done as much as you have. I'm sure you have one or two. <laughs> yeah. Let me think. Um, I, I won't off the top of my head. I will tell you one funny tour story. This probably is not, um, the worst, um, thing that ever happened, but it's a little funny to me. I do remember this one time I was on tour with these friends, um, Eclectic Collective, they were called at the time. They're now called Bad Rabbits. They're a band called Bad Rabbits, one of my favorite. Um, they named themselves after you, didn't they? Yeah, they did. <laughs> um, they're old friends of mine, yeah. and um, and I, I wrote and produced some of the songs for their new record, I think, um, their their latest EP. They're a great, really good live band, really amazing band, and awesome dudes. And um, we were on tour, this is back in 2005, and I do remember we were in an RV... And I remember this guy, and we were we were. It was a rough tour financially, as all tours of those couple of years were. Um, not horrible, but you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so we weren't doing hotels or anything like that. And we were in the South, maybe we were in South Carolina, and we went to um, we did the show. And as as would happen occasionally, this guy says, "You guys got to come to my house. I will put you up tonight. I am going to feed you a feast. I'm a chef for my day job. You're not going to believe this. I'll blow your minds." Blah 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 blah. And this guy's stoked and probably very drunk. And so we agreed and we said, okay, cool. Can we plug in the RV outside your house? Oh, yeah, totally. No problem. So we we follow him after the show back to his house. He tells us first we need to stop off at 7-Eleven. And so we go, okay, sure. We stop at 7-Eleven. He comes out of there with two bags. And he comes out and he goes, check this out, guys. And he's got, I'm not lying about this, two bags full of ramen and spam. And everyone in the band, and he's really stoked about it. And everyone in the band is just kind of like, okay, that's probably not for us. He just needs to stop because he's a chef and he was bragging, right? So we go back to his house. We go into his house and um, his house is, it's really an apartment and it's really filthy and methy. And there are bugs. Did you say methy? Methy. Very methy. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. And there are maybe, like, I feel like there was someone there that was sort of cracked out on the couch and there were cockroaches. And, you know, it was just clear that he wasn't, A, he didn't have a home. This was, this was an apartment that he may or may not be paying rent for. And he also was not prepared to have any guests. Um, but he, I think he was also just high out of his mind. Like he might have been on cocaine or something like that. He was on something. And so he's very excited and, you know, stoked to have this band of six or, I think there were like eight people in this band. So we're all there and we're inside and it's like two in the morning already. And as any artist will tell you, that's usually when this person won't stop talking, give you the one thing you want, which is just sleep in a quiet place. They want to play you their demos and they want to um, talk to you about how they first heard your music and then talk to you about their day job and then talk to you about whatever. And usually ending up crying or something. And um, and so we're all kind of, you know, chilling in this house and it's really, and there's nowhere to sit. I remember that too. There's one couch and, and there's nine of us or something. So we're kind of sitting on the floor with the cockroaches. And this guy's like, check this out. I'm going to make you guys this feast. He's really bragging a lot. And he goes in and he starts to cook the ramen and telling us how we don't realize it, but spam and ramen is actually really good. And meanwhile, just like everyone's getting 
increasingly um, depressed about the situation and realizing that we've been tricked in a sense. And this is not the amazing feast that we definitely needed in that moment. So um, I excused myself eventually. I wasn't comfortable being around. I think some of the drugs that were going on, I feel like that guy was doing cocaine with someone, someone else or something like not the band that I was with, but the, you know, I just, I got, I just wasn't comfortable around those situations a lot. And, and they sure. seem to happen a lot in the South for some reason. And so I went, I was like, I'm just going to sleep in the RV. No big deal. I'll be out there guys. And it was really hot because we were in the South and it was the summer. And I went down and I went out and slept in the RV and I, I actually fell asleep and was just like, okay, whatever. And this is before cell phones. I think I don't think maybe we had a cell phone but weren't really texting stuff yet anyway I wake up to everyone running into the van it's probably five in the morning and they're all yelling and crazed crazed and getting into the van you know it's like this really abrupt wake up where all of a sudden everyone's clearly trying to get in the van and get out of there and the guy and they're going let's go let's go let's go let's go let's go like that and then the guy comes out yelling on his front porch and he's wearing only boxer shorts he's pretty much uh naked other other than boxer (laughs) shorts and he's yelling and these cop cars are pulling up to the house three of them jesus and we peel we peel out of there (laughs) and we drive away and they just and i uh, this is not the greatest ending because i can't tell you what actually happened but i actually kind of think it's funnier if i don't know what happened they and they just said you were right we should have slept in the van you were right like i remember feeling very validated but i don't remember any (laughs) argument where they're like no no you should sleep in here but in general everyone really regretted spending those next five hours or whatever in this space with this person and we peeled out of there and somehow did not get accosted by the police but and i don't know who you he seemed like he was yelling at the police not the band so i didn't feel like I just feel like something happened. Maybe they realized that the neighbors had called the police or something. But basically, this is, this is going to line up with some news story somewhere in the south. <laughs> like there's there's some <laughs> big thing that happened. That hey, I know that guy. Was just a <laughs> was a fleeting moment in your life. Was a huge thing in this little rural. Yeah, town. yeah. Maybe there was a shootout or something after. I don't even know. But I just remember thinking. You couldn't have more red flags that like this was a dumb idea in the first place, but I think being a touring artist at that level, which is level one, you just constantly are put in these crazy situations and you just kind of get used to it as like, yeah, that happened. Like, I don't know. It just didn't, you mentioned, you know, we probably talked about it for one day after that and that's it. You mentioned earlier you're still level one musician. Maybe that was the boss you had to defeat to get to level two. <laughs> I didn't do it. Yeah, That's you just true. ran off. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, and I don't, I don't think it's really fair to say I'm level one in that. I do. I, I have this pet peeve of when artists do kind of like a tutorials or a master class or a camp or whatever, and they take for granted the very beginning sticks when they're like. All right, so listen, you play a show and, you know, these 200 kids, think about it. Like, you're going to give them a t-shirt, you're going to give them a CD or whatever their advice is. And, and most of the people that are artists in the room are going, where, how do you even get 200 people in the room? Like, acknowledging <laughs> that the bottom floor of music, level one, is really like, you can't even book a show. That's the hard part. Like, l- like level level three is touring level five is touring in a bus level eight is when you're on a you know so to be fair like i don't i don't want to imply that um that 
even being able to tour the South is like the base level. That it's really hard to even get to that point. Um, so maybe we were level two. <laughs> maybe we were level <laughs> two, and maybe I'm level two and a half right now or three. Deer gotcha. Hunter is probably level four ish. You know, we're in a bus now and um, and you fought our way up through all that. Yeah, you have to go back and find that guy so you can get up to the next level. That's I have to beat him. Yeah, that was the end of the, the mission. He missed. Maybe I just had to eat that meal. I mean, I don't know if I had to physically <laughs> physically kill him. I just had to prove my stomach. Maybe could that's do what that. they were running from. It was just such a terrible <laughs> meal. There's like Jesus. I, yeah, I like to think of that. I like to think of that. Or there were cockroaches in the meal. I feel like it might have been the culmination of all those videos. Or he put protein. cocaine. Yeah, when in you're on the, the road, meal. you need all that protein. You know, it's uh, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, that's one off the top of my head that I, I'll never forget just being such a strange experience. Um, Ugh, that's yeah. incredible. Well, we want to thank you so much for coming on, Gavin. Thank you, this guys. This is an honor. It's an honor that you guys put this much energy into supporting this band. It's really amazing to me. Oh, thanks. Really, we love it. I We're love having a great time. It's a pleasure. That's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, well, yeah. Play well, did you want to, before we head out, <laughs> did you want to plug some of your socials? Because we did talk about your Instagram earlier. Did you want to plug um, you know, your, your Bandcamp URL or your, your Instagram uh, handle or any of the other corners of the internet where we all squirrel away to be creative? Yeah, I would say if you're willing to follow me on Bandcamp and Spotify, that's the two places you're going to hear my music the fastest. Of course, I'm on YouTube, and I'm going to be doing a bunch of videos prepping for this tour. Um, so I grabbed the deer hunter um, gopros that we use on tour sometimes and i will be documenting some of the process um rue this might be of interest to you i'm going to be documenting some of the process of building out the set the way i'm going to do it and some of the gear and experimenting with these pedals and stuff so i tend to do oh, some amazing. of that stuff on youtube i just haven't done it for a year or two um and maybe if i get the performance to a good place i might put one up that way too but um so youtube is a good place to see some live mm. footage of previous looping projects i've done and, and other a little bit of live footage of what i've done but I think in general, I love it if people will follow my Bandcamp because then they'll really know when I put a new album up if they want to download it. And obviously, Spotify will tell you too. And all those things really help me a lot. Like, I'm totally stoked if anyone will subscribe on those levels. Sure. Other things like tw Twitter, I just use to talk nonsense. It's not really a real platform to me. And Facebook is sort of similar to me. And I think, but I think Instagram, I also like to do mini projects on there. So I'm going to release this EP of five very aggressive raps about actually steve this might appeal to you they're they're about tech industry work that i do oh um so they're um five bite-sized things that i'll put on instagram over the next month that won't be the only place they'll show up but like that's where i'll probably premiere it these little videos of them um so that's not a bad place too i'm just not much of a photo person but um but I like it as a quick platform and staying sure. in touch with friends and stuff. So yeah, yeah I'd be honored that. if if anyone would follow me on those platforms. That that means the world to me. It'd, it'd be Gavin Castleton. Um, it'd be where you find it. I don't have any crazy. Yeah, just, I don't have to just, do the, uh, the real Gazzle. TDH. I, I said Castle. <laughs> just Google Gavin Castleton and click all the links. Just until <laughs> please we run out also of pages. Google Gazzle Castleton. Yes, Google Gazzle. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this too long. My tongue's giving up. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's awesome. I would love that. Well, That'd be amazing. All right, man. Well, we will. Uh, we'll see you in uh, November. We are really looking forward to to meeting you guys, seeing what you mm -hmm. have to offer. This exciting really cool tour you're doing so uh, everyone go grab your tickets for that we will all meet up enjoy some great tunes and uh yeah it's gonna be an awesome time cool yeah. thank you yeah no Thanks, problem guys. thank you so much for coming on thank you very very much
Yes. And if you, if any of you listeners, uh, if you're not in the group already, if you want to get a chance to ask questions to any of our uh, future guests, be sure to join the meaning of and all things regarding the deer hunter on Facebook and uh, ask away. We usually do a mega thread kind of uh, gathering questions and then we try to pick the best ones for the show. So thanks so much. Uh, thank you again to Gavin uh, and be sure to stay tuned for... I think we're going to do Act 2 next, or by the time this comes out, it might be Act 3. By the time this comes out, I mean, it might be the end of the year. But yeah, no, I think uh, Act 2 we'll probably do next. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm looking forward awesome. to that. That'll be a really, really fun one. So yeah, awesome. uh, follow right. Area 22 Productions well, thanks, uh, on Facebook, on uh, you know, all over the place. Follow uh, Deer Operation Podcast all over the place. We're c- going to continue to do fun things, hopefully branch out to interviewing some other artists within kind of... Uh, the, the progressive rock or indie scene so we're, we're looking forward to doing some more stuff like that so if you like what we do feel free to follow us and we will keep doing it as long as we have the passion for it which is probably going to be for uh for a while so and uh be sure to stay tuned because right now we're going to play a song at gavin castleton's request it's called smash that baby eat that baby thank you so much and have a great rest of your day see you guys Ha! But you thought you had enough of me. No, that air horn is back, and so am I. Anyway, Gavin sent us a message from the future saying that he would like to let you guys know about this discount that you might already know about as of the time you are hearing this. But if you go to gavincastleton.bandcamp.com slash merch, you will get a pre-order discount of 20 to 30% off of his very first vinyls, which includes two concept records, a bullet, a lever, a key, and travel light. So be sure to head over there. Gavin paid out of pocket for these, and this will definitely help him out on tour. So thank you so much for uh, hearing me out and considering it. And here we go, right back to the content. Smash that, baby.